0: welcome to episode 76 of the movie marathoners podcast part of the evergreen podcast network i'm your host mati and joining me this week is colby mack from colby told me welcome back colby it has been way too long how's everything been man
1: yo 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 what up it is your boy colby mack and i'm back on the movie marathoners podcast yeah long is an understatement my brother
0: i know so much has happened it's been probably what six months Uh, something like that we were saying that since I think the Five Bloods came out in June and I think that was the last time you were on. I know 2020 was insane. It's 2021. So hopefully we're all in better places now, but it is great to have you back. I'm really looking forward to talking to you again. It's always a pleasure. Hell yeah, man.
1: It is great to be back. Um, I hope that your holidays have been well, that your new year is off to a great start as well.
0: Yeah, same to you. So uh, last week I was joined by my friend Ian Anderson to talk about the Christmas Day release that had everyone divided on whether it was good, bad, or somewhere in the middle. If you want to hear a level-headed discussion on Wonder Woman 1984, you can go over and give that episode a listen. Uh, We were very generous to the film. I think retrospectively, in my opinion, a little too generous, but I thought that was still a meaningful conversation. Um, So definitely check that out if you haven't already. But in addition to Wonder Woman 1984, another film from a massive studio was released on Christmas Day. So this week we're talking about that. We're talking about Pixar's latest film, Soul. So we'll warm up with our spoiler-free thoughts on Soul before running into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And then we'll finish with our point two section where we talk about what else we've been watching. So let's start with a synopsis of Soul. A musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. I got to say, that's not the most accurate synopsis. This is from it, IMDb. Um, it
1: bothers me every time I hear, I hear it, man. Like, I keep... <laughs> it, it, it it's really kind of like cringe inducing and i think that's what like is hurting me from like really falling for the film granted these synopses and synopsis i don't know what the plural is for synopsis but like i know it's not the studio you know yeah. like the market like specific marketing but it's just like i wouldn't even allow that because i think that it does it underserves what the true like accuracy of what this film's plot is by a lot
0: yeah, and even that first part where it says he has lost his passion for music, that's almost the exact opposite of what yeah, is happening like, I don't in this know, film. So,
1: how do you let that slide? Like, if I'm Disney <laughs> and I'm just like, no, no, yo, I like, for real, for real, like, in no way in this film does it ever portray him having a loss for music. If anything, he's trying to,
0: like, his pursuit is to capture it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, kind of rough synopsis, but I guess it gets the <laughs> point across that there is a musician and there's some out of body stuff and there's an infant soul. So, Soul stars Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. It's written by Pete Doctor, Mike Jones, and Kemp Powers, and it is co directed by Pete Doctor and Kemp Powers.
1: What would you want to be known for on Earth?
0: We only have a short time on this planet.
1: You want to become the person that you were born to be? Don't waste your time on all the junk of life. What am I doing? Spend your precious hours doing what will bring out the real you. The brilliant, passionate you. That's ready to contribute something meaningful into this world. I got the gig. I really need a haircut today, man. Can you fit me in? Whoa, whoa, sorry.
0: So unlike Wonder Woman 1984, Pixar's Soul has been almost universally acclaimed since it premiered at the London Film Festival in October. And when you think about the Pixar pedigree, that really comes as no surprise. I mean, especially when we look back at Pete Docter's other films, which are Monsters, Inc., Up, and Inside Out. All three of those films are widely regarded as some of Pixar's best. And personally, for me, Inside Out is one of my favorite films of all time. So even outside of the hype around early screenings and everything surrounding this film, I was very excited to see this film. But how about you, Colby? What were your expectations going into Soul? And what are your overall thoughts on what we got?
1: Man, um, Pixar's bar is so high. And obviously, we spent last year talking about like our Pixar rankings. And damn, what was the Pixar movie that came out last year that kind of like spurred that
0: conversation? <laughs> onward.
1: <laughs> it was onward. That's, that's what that was, right? Yeah. So, um... It's interesting because when I first heard about Soul, it got a lot of hype to say, yo, there is this movie coming out. And I just remember kind of like, you know, hearing what it was about. It, it's funny because at that time, it was not about this <laughs> jazz artist losing the loss right. of love. It was like exploring a love for music, right? And then also like it's going to like have Pixar's first, you know, principal, you know, African uh, African-American lead inside of this kid's film. And it got me excited because, you know, just, you know, a couple years prior, back in 2017, we got Coco. Coco was phenomenal in regards to the representation of that culture in the film. And then also like how colorful and vibrant and like joyous the film was to have, even though like it was like where it was set. And I guess, you know, conversely enough, it's kind of similar to Soul. So I really thought Mm -hmm. like, yo, we are about to get our black Coco. And I love Coco so much. Soul ended up not being Coco, and I don't necessarily like blame Disney or Pixar on that. I think it was just the way that like for some reason it was hitting me, so I was super duper excited um it was unfortunate that I could not watch it in the movie theater. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that having a true and honest theatrical presentation does elevate. A film. Um, I don't think that like, you know, watching from home can hurt a film, but it does. There's something special about how the music can fill an auditorium and that communal experience can help you elevate some of the jokes and things of that nature. Um, And even though I was relegated to watching this on my 65 inch with, I still have impressive sound, you know, it's kind of different that like, you know, um, everybody had access to it on the same time on Christmas. My day was chock full. I spent watching Wonder Woman and Promising Young Women first, and then I got to Seoul. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you hear a little bit of like the early praise and like how the reception was of the film and it gets you excited. I mean, probably weeks before I'm hearing soul being talked about being a contender for best picture, let alone a lock for, you know, a best animated feature at the Oscars. And sometimes man, those expectations, when they get set up, when they're not met, it hurts a little bit more. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I think with soul, I respect it a whole lot more for the things that it's trying to do as opposed to what it actually does.
0: Interesting. So what do you mean by that? I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that without getting into spoilers? Yeah, or do you like, want to I save think
1: that? With the, like one, to me, this is not a kid's film. Mm-hmm. And I think it was pretty easy that- My daughter got a chance to watch this film before I did, right? Because I I wasn't going to take her to watch Promising Young Woman. So she got a (laughs) chance to watch it, you know, first, you know, with the other members of my family. And I said, oh, baby, how did you like it? She's like, yeah, I liked it. I said, hey, well, do you want to watch with me tomorrow? We can watch We Can Be Heroes first. And I said, Oh. Oh, <laughs> and keep in mind, my daughter's eight and a half years old. She's a burgeoning a, mm-hmm. a film cr- critic in her own right. She likes to give things her own ratings and stuff like that. And she gave a rating of soul. And I was just like, oh, oh. But then again, I, I like, I know that Pixar definitely tries to um, appease both adults and children in different ways. And I would say for the most part, for a lot of their films, they do a masterful job at balancing that. After watching soul. I don't, I mean, I feel the places where they've tried to inject humor for kids. I just don't know exactly like how it lands. And like, I have an example of a kid that's right next to me. That's just like, oh, you know, she's kind of like unmoved, but what is like, what is completely just like, cannot be like detached at all. This film is so thematically strong in regards to Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, the greatest question that we probably like, you're curious, curious with when like, you know, we're at that right age, you know, what is our purpose? And Having this kind of like cathartic existential conversation in you know a a kid's film, it's a tough balancing act. I appreciate all the elements you know outside of that conversation a lot. I mean, the animation is gorgeous; like, Mm -hmm. it is really, really beautiful. The things that they're able to do. Um, I don't necessarily believe that we're like kind of like in this uncanny valley with it because I can definitely distinguish it. But like, it brought such this warmth and made New York feel alive in yep. any other like you know animated film ever. Like it looks gorgeous. Like I I, I want to live in that world. Um I thought it was really like y- unique in the way that it looks the ways that it the way that it sounds the score is impeccable. Um I love the vo- I love the voice performances. You know like sometimes I feel like if you cast a big time actor, it's hard for me to separate them from the character that they're playing. And I think that Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey did a really good job. Um you know same thing with I think it was, what Alice Baraga that uh that She plays uh, Jerry. Yeah. Like, you know, really, really good, you know, work that way. Probably not. I mean, you know, if I'm putting it like in in like the tops of like, you know, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen and stuff like that, it, it ain't there, but I think it's still doing a really, really good job. The movie is fun and tries to take essentially life and death and play with it and what it all means. I just don't necessarily believe that it's as impactful for kids because that is a serious conversation that most kids really can't entertain.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think this film is a lot more for adults than it is for children. And it's almost kind of like the reverse of a lot of animation films where animated films are primarily for children. And then they throw in these jokes for adults that keep you entertained and things like that. But with this film, the whole thing is kind of an adult fest. And then there are these tiny little things that they sprinkle in like an underpants joke or Mm -hmm. this goofy looking cat. And that stuff is for the kids, but the overarching themes of this film are so dense and heavy to an extent that I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any kids, so I wasn't around asking random Mm -hmm. kids what they thought, but (laughs) when I was watching it, I was like, this is kind of, this seems like it's not going to be for kids and kids are not going to vibe with this in the same way that they might vibe with something that's similar to this, like Coco or Inside Out, but just for whatever reason, this film doesn't take that kind of like whimsical step that some of those other films do.
1: And it tries to. Like, I think yeah. that there's parts inside. And and, and I, I think inside the marketing, we have heard, um you know, the description of the great beyond and the great before. I got to be honest with you. I feel like I've never heard it called the great before. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, that's really impressive. I like that. <laughs> like, I like that a lot. <laughs> like the great before, like everything up to it. And, and I, I will say that Pixar and Pete Doctor and Ken Powers, they did a great job at Playing with essentially a spiritual narrative without offending anyone's spiritual preference or choice. Yeah. Um, That was a great balancing act. I think that they like found this like really nice pocket to be in as to not offend anybody. Um, Describing this purgatory in a sense of a great before, you know, like I said, I I didn't feel like I've ever heard that before. And I was like, okay, I can kind of vibe with this. I know it doesn't align to like my, you know, spiritual principles, but it does not offend me at all. Um and that's still a big topic for kids but it was colorful it was bright mm-hmm. it was that was where the whimsical was but we also got there really really quick so I couldn't feel as attached to our you know like our protagonist is supposed to be the avatar they're you know who I am rooting for and traveling in the story as things happen to him and because things happened so quick in this film it was really tough for me to kind of buy into it
0: yeah. So, I mean, the the great before thing that you're talking about, that is kind of one aspect of this film. And then there's the more grounded, realistic aspect of this film where they're spending a lot of time in New York. And the film is kind of split up into three chunks, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think I adore the first 30 minutes of this movie. That is my shit. the The creative, clever world building. I think that whole concept is fascinating. It's really incredible how they were able to come up with it and how they were able to literalize something that is really really abstract and how it mm-hmm. all makes sense if you don't think about it too hard obviously yes <laughs> and then you've got the last 30 minutes that kind of goes back to that and it sort of wraps up the films and the message of the film and I think that the last 30 minutes is also really fantastic um it's incredibly touching I think what this film has to say is really special and unique for a film to say and I'm sure we'll talk about that more in spoilers but then there's this middle part of the film, where Jamie Foxx's character is back in New York with the slight twist that I guess we won't spoil here, obviously. <laughs> um, and I did not find that part of the film as exhilarating as the first or the third act of the film. Um, the first time I watched it, it was actually a bit underwhelming. I was like, okay, I just want to get back to the before life. I want to get back to the afterlife. I want to see more of that world. And I, was just, I just found myself sitting there waiting for them to return back to that spot. Mm -hmm. On the second watch, the middle part did work better for me, and that's become a theme recently with all these on-demand premieres that I've been getting to review on this podcast is like, I'll watch it twice and be like, okay, this actually works better now. So that's a good lesson for people out there is to watch a movie twice. Obviously, if a movie sucks, you don't want to watch it twice. It's perfectly understandable. But anyways, for the point of criticism, I, I like watching movies twice, and now I can do that. That was a really random side tangent. But because I was anticipating that middle part, I thought that instead of being underwhelming, it was kind of just breezy. And I was like, oh, I'll just buy it by time. It's not bad by any means. You know, it's just more traditional animated hijinks stuff. And so it was entertaining. It's funny. There is one really standout scene in a barbershop that is really fantastic and is saying a lot without saying much at all. So, I really liked that part, but in terms of kind of the main chunk of this movie, I didn't think it worked quite as well as the beginning or the end. What do you think about that, Colby?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, I think for most films, a second act is pretty tricky. you mm-hmm. know when you're looking at like a traditional three act structure, right? You know, for most storytellers, the easiest part is coming up with a beginning and end. It's everything you have to do in the middle as to how do we get these people there that like services like one. I need this film to be somewhere between, you know, 90, (laughs) between 90 and 110 (laughs) minutes, right? Um, And, like, as a screenwriter, you know, some people can do much greater with, like, oh, I know how I want to end the film. I know where I want my character at. Um, And I know, like, what the setup needs to be. But, like, trying to fill in, essentially, almost like, you know, if you're getting into, like, TV writing, I need to put in all these other beats that reinforces – the goals that I want my character to achieve and why they achieve them, and then giving them obstacles that make it entertaining, that make it insightful. That's tough. And when you're trying to do it for a kids' film, what makes it even tougher is because you almost have to formulaically put in, yeah. oh, I need a laugh it's gotta here, be entertaining, I need a big spectacle. Yeah. Yes, and that's the part that is tricky. And because the tone of this film, with it, in my you know, like we're kind of discussing, is so much more adult. I think for an adult. The the middle act it really isn't too bad, but for like you know when, when I'm putting on my scope for a kids film, it's having to do some things that I feel like are dishonest to what the core of this story as you told mm. me in the beginning is. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I I think comparisons to Inside Out are pretty much inevitable about this yeah. film. They're they're both dealing with literalizing or literalizing abstract concepts, and they're of course both directed by Pete Doctor. And I think that thing that you're saying where there's a great first ending and or a, a great premise and a great ending, and then you kind of have to fill in the rest, is actually pretty emblemic of a lot of Pixar films. I feel like many of them have this great concept, this great execution, and then the or this great ending, and then the middle execution is more like, okay, well, you know we got the guy who has the sad wife in the house and mm-hmm. or the sad life in the house because his wife is dead, and then we know where we want to get to, but then there's kind of just some random quirky stuff in the middle with a bird and a dog and everything, and of course, I'm talking about up. I think Inside Out has a similar thing. I really love Inside Out. I think the middle is very good as well, um, but it also has that two characters on a quest thing that almost every movie seems to have. But what I think works a little better about like the Inside Out method or that middle part is that in the middle part of the film, they're going on a quest through the world that they've created. And the concepts that are introduced in the second act are furthering the initial premise of the film. So we get these things like the imaginary boyfriend and the, the island of goofballness, and you meet Bing Bong and all of this stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. in here, it's kind of saying, okay, we've shown you this world and I personally loved that world. Now we're going to move out of it and go back into this more realistic thing. And that's not necessarily wrong. Or anything like that. But I just thought that I was still just being like, I want to go back there. Show me more visual gags of what it's like to give a soul a personality. Show me more about lost souls and these uh this plane of creativity and all of this stuff. So I feel like the film just shows everything that it wants to show in that first part and then kind of gets to the thematic stuff in the end. And then it's just waiting to kind of get back to it and doesn't really care about Further exploring that world, whereas Inside Out is like, we've got all these ideas, it's gonna take up the whole movie.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where kind of like how I felt with Up, but I feel like Up, the execution in the first act was it probably has the best first act of any Pixar film. Mm-hmm. Um whereas in our last conversation, this you know, we were talking about Onward, Onward has the best, you know, final act of any Pixar film. Yeah. And I wish that like the the strength of what we are talking about with Soul it hinges a lot on how you are, like, the rules that it's setting up, which, like, we, we've admittedly, like, we like we love about that. And when you move away from it, it's like, well, like, what's the reason why? Like, I kind of get it. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost at a point where I like Tina Fey's character, 22. Mm-hmm. And I understand that just, like, you know, what her role is as a soul and how long that essentially she's existed with not existing. And her goal is to not have life. But at the same time, she's tried to answer this curiosity about it. And, you know, like we can kind of see the story beat, you know, the man with the life and loses it, you know, is trying to be able to get it back. The person without a life, but then gains it, is trying to understand it. Does she want it at all? Right. So mm-hmm. like on its face, that's not a bad concept to explore, but we also have to have this in a kid's film and the mechanics of what they're doing in that second act It's not wonky. Is it the word? It's just like, oh, well, this feels kind of like like, it's just not as it's not as impactful, you know, and that is the tough part. I don't know of what would have been a better way. You know, I will say this. There's a part of me that almost like if you notice that inside of our conversation, this is a kid's movie. This has very, very little children in the entire
0: movie. Yeah, that's a good, you know,
1: and if you think about at least what you had inside of Inside Out, you know, I forget uh, what's her name, Riley, Riley. You know, we we think about those kids in these films that have it. You know, Riley and Andy, and like those are the kids. You know, that a kid watching this film can kind of be able to relate to, depending upon their age and whatnot. And we don't have that here. I mean, essentially, there's you know, there's a a really cool joke that uh, that, uh, that that Jamie Foxx's character says. To Riley. Oh, actually, you actually, like, why do you sound like a middle-aged white woman? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's
1: like, it's to us, it's funny. Uh, uh, my eight-year-old will not get that at all. And I think that's what kind of lends itself to like the stumbling nature of like choosing to do the plot in this way, is that these kids have no one to relate to. And the one child that actually embraces Jamie Foxx's character, she's the one who like actually the the you know, the, the IMD synopsis kind of like likens to, and we leave that alone like it completely gets thrown away. You know, yeah, this yeah. this little girl who has no investment in, into music, but she's got a knack for it and I don't really know why it was there. I feel like if we had a a child to be able to connect with and maybe they were forced, you know, th- th- that that is the switch that we had there. I think that maybe would have like worked better for me.
0: So I I guess I want to just clarify that like mm-hmm you seem to be a little critical about the film not being for kids. Um, I don't personally think that that's a criticism that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I acknowledge that it's not for kids, but I don't know if that is something that I'm, I'm holding against the movie. So I'm just curious. It is doesn't it make something- it bad. I'll say that like, okay.
1: you know, like that. And, and that's the one thing that like, I try to be a proponent of as a critic is that just because something doesn't work for me does not mean it's bad. It's just mm-hmm. like, it's a reason why it didn't like really win me over. Um, cause I think that, you know, right. um, I think that, you know, objectively, The film works on a lot of levels. And I think that, you know, most people's sentiments of that is evidence of that. Um, But it was just hard to meet the expectations that I had for it, whether fair or not. That's just like, that's how this works, right? Whatever expectations that you had going in, if it's disappointed in a way, it is going to like, you know, affect you more. So while this really didn't win me over, the kid inside of me wasn't won over. um, (laughs) It was just hard for me to fully buy into these characters' goals and then how they got them. And that's big for me.
0: It's understandable. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it, it did ultimately still work because the ending landed so perfectly. And again, I, I really do adore the first 30 minutes of this movie where we're just exploring things. And I think that's honestly where the film shines. I think this film has amazing dialogue. I think it has a really sharp and funny script. I feel like there were so many moments in this film that were just kind of, I, I don't want to say throwaway gags, because that sort of diminishes what they are, but these, these sort of one-off lines. That just had me absolutely laughing out loud at either how funny they were or how (laughs) poignant they were, where I was just like, that is so fucking true. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just really love that the world that this film builds. I would really personally love to see this film nominated for best screenplay. And I know Inside Out was nominated. I don't think of a animated film has ever won. But in terms of a nomination for a screenplay, I think this is really a, a good bet.
1: I'd agree there. Cause like even with me not buying into character goals and like how they achieve them, objectively, it's still a really like strong screenplay in regards to I may not like how it got there, but it mm-hmm. gets there and it pulls and it justifies in its own way why it got there. Um and like if it did if it did not tie up that bow in the end just right, then the entire second and third act falls apart. Like it exactly. really, really hinges yeah. on it. Like you know, completely it completely hinges on it. And, um, and, and sometimes all it takes is a really magical montage. And, you know, for some people that can seem cheap, but damn, is it effective and it works in a lot. And it gives you that reflection. You're just like, yo, all right, you got me. (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) and it it
0: almost does feel a little manipulative sometimes. And I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the criticisms of the up opening five minutes is that Uh it's, it's very clearly meant to make you cry. And so I feel like when a movie is like, pulling out everything that it has to make me cry. I'm a little resistant to it. But mm-hmm. regardless of that, I still think this film works. And I want to talk more mm-hmm. about that in spoilers. Before we do that, I know you mentioned the animation of the film. And, you know, I think talking about how great animation in Pixar's films are is kind of a given at this point. But I really loved how this film kind of blends different styles. It's almost spider Versey in that sense. Like, you've got mm-hmm. three different styles, is in, in my opinion. You've got the cartoonist style of the characters, right? Like, If you look at the cat in this film, and then you look at the cat in Toy Story 4, which came out last year, they Mm -hmm. look completely different. This one has tiny little stick-like legs and kind of a chubby body, and then the cat in Toy Story 4 is almost photorealistic. And And I I think
1: think, that's... I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's one of the things where when we returned back to Earth in the second act, I was like, oh, so we got notes to say that we need this to be more cartoon-like for kids, and we almost forgot like how expertly crafted we did the rest of the animation because that's a that's a secret life of pets cat right yeah that's not the toy story four cat and i'm like why like I, everything looks so i'm not saying like, everything looks so there, there was a big difference there and it's like oh not that i didn't know that i was in a cartoon but now you've really really reminded me that i've got this goofy cat cartoon
0: <laughs> well i think it's interesting because it's obviously very set against the realistic new york city backdrop right like all the backgrounds and the buildings almost look photorealistic yeah it actually reminds me of the often forgotten pixar classic i guess you could call it the the good dinosaur dinosaur. have you (laughs) seen that i was
1: thinking the same thing that i always think of that one rain scene i'm like yo that rain scene when this dinosaur is looking up to the sky. I'm just like, that's that's some good stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then the f- dinosaur looks like it's made out of play doh or something. Um, <laughs> but so so it reminds me of this here. I but I, I think I think it works because it kind of gives the characters personality without True. having to make them do anything, right? Mm-hmm. Like Joe and his mother, they have this kind of like their personality is in their physicality, and yeah you know, the the mom kind of looks scary and intimidating because she's almost frail and and has these very pronounced features and things like that. So, so I really like that aspect of how they kind of blend that with the very realistic New York City background that kind of gives life to the film. But then there's this third aesthetic, which is all the metaphysical stuff. And I just think that that's really cool because it's got this bright, soft pastel kind of feel to it.
1: Kind of like inside out, like in my opinion, like there's something that's like, it's got that, it's almost fuzzy, right? Like in my opinion, it's, it's kind of like, like how joy is like, there's like this, you know, this little kind of fuzzy, like hue that wraps around her. And like, I, I like that, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it, it looks unique. And so like, that was kind of cool inside of the, you know, the great beyond and great before world and bringing up the distinct choice in how they chose to animate jerry and terry in contrast to everything else was really interesting
0: (laughs) yeah and i mean you say that it's similar to inside out it's definitely evocative of inside out but it's also different like the it's not the exact same thing and i think it's cool that they found a way to make this feel completely different despite being similar depictions of a metaphysical world and i mean you, you even think of coco with the Day of the Dead or the Land of the Dead, and that is so completely different from these two. So I really love that Pixar is saying, I mean, I think one of the criticisms that the Walt Disney Studios animation Studios has is that all their films look very similar, and I happen to really like that animation style, but you're right, like Moana doesn't look much different than Frozen Two, which doesn't look much yeah. different than Tangled, save for some you know improvements in technology. but here it's like the world of Coco does not look realistic but it looks completely different than yeah. the world of the you seminar or whatever it is here so I really love that about it
1: <laughs> no nah, it's 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 really interesting and I mean you know some people have like those gripes about like oh it all looks the same I mean like I don't the films all look <laughs> the same that live action films all look the same you know yeah. they aren't super like they all look the same like that that's just how that's what you know, real life looks like, you know, so (laughs) I'm fine. I don't need a different animation style every single time. Like I'm absolutely fine. I want to follow in love with the story. I want to believe in the story, these characters, the world they're in, you know, their convictions and how they pursue them.
0: Completely understandable. So it sounds like you're probably a little less positive than I am on the film, but I'm curious, you know, we did do that huge Pixar episode uh, surrounding the release of Onward back in March. And we went through each film meticulously and said what our rankings were. And I thought that was really a great episode. It's one of my favorite episodes, so people should definitely go back and listen to that. But um we'll give them a tease here. Where does Soul rank amongst other Pixar films, Colby?
1: Man, I've been wrestling with it. And I still mm-hmm. haven't even put out my review for Soul because i have like, you know, I, I want to be absolutely fair. Like, you know, I, I call myself, you know, uh, the most subjectively objective film critic in the game. And I really do mean it because... <laughs> I do not preach that just because I didn't like something doesn't make it bad. And just because right. it didn't work for me doesn't make it bad. I think that is such a lazy way of film criticism. Um and to be honest with you, I listened to the episode on Wonder Woman. I think you guys brought a lot of balance to it. And anybody who like, you know, just abhorrently is throwing out Wonder Woman is the worst in the world. It's unwatchable. Let me tell you something. <laughs> no film is unwatchable. Stop with that hack take. Just er- eliminate it from your vocabulary, unwatchable, the worst ever, stop it, be better, because yeah. you watched it. So obviously it was watchable, okay? <laughs> like It's 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 absolutely that. No film is ever as bad as one thinks. I'm going to step off my soapbox. Soul, soul is so far from a bad movie, it just didn't work for me the way that I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. But in all the Pixar films, and I think we talked about it most of like I think like half of my Pixar films are nine out of tens like that's how respected I I think of this studio it's right there in the middle for me and it's currently in my number 14 spot after Incredibles 2
0: okay yeah so um my assumption was right it's a little more positive for me but I echo everything you said that like I, I think I've been really positive about Soul. And so, you know, if it was any other company, really, Soul might be like a top five film I mean, yeah. for me or something like that. <laughs> which is, it, it's just, again, I mean, beating a dead horse, saying the obvious, whatever you want to call it. Like, Pixar films are so fucking good. And putting Soul for me at 10 seems weird. But then you look at, like, it that's below Toy Story 3 and Toy Story, but right above up. So, like that's pretty damn good company in my opinion so so even if soul is middle of the road pixar wise for me um you know it's still an incredible film i i absolutely adore adore toy story 3 and toy story and i think up is really good but i do think that like those films soul doesn't do that extra like wow it blew me away that some of pixar's other films do like pixar films like wally and um Ratatouille and of course Finding Nemo and uh, Inside Out are my absolute favorites. So I think Soul is fantastic. Um I really would encourage people to see it. I I, I think you would too, right, Colby?
1: Almost certainly. It is absolutely still a recommend watch for everybody. Um and like I said since you know most of my friends are adults, you're going to love this movie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just the rare few like children that you you know might be a little bit like I really a want husband. to see a poll
1: of what kids think about this cuz we yeah. can go on rotten tomatoes and all these other stuff and kind of get an idea of what adults are thinking but I really want to know like what the the reception cuz kids will kids will lay it on and they'll just let you know like yo there's no not that there needs to be like explosions or, or like fireworks or anything like that but like I think as like an entertainment value there's not much that was very entertaining for the child like wonder
0: yeah and I mean, even on top of that, just like the ambience of the film, you've got this Reznor and Atticus Ross score mm-hmm. that I think it's fantastic. oh yes, yeah. it's, it's got this very synth like feel to it. It reminds me a lot of the social network and Gone Girl, and maybe it's for that reason that I mean you know they they did the scores for those as well, but maybe yeah. it's for that reason that I'm like, this is kind of an off putting score. It's fantastic, but it does give me that like ooh i'm I'm a little. Uncomfortable here, and I think that's the point. Is like it's supposed to be kind of trippy, but as a kid, not that I'm like I wasn't, you know, being receptive to scores. Obviously, nothing, yeah. nothing uh unsubconscious. But like, I do feel like even the score kind of adds to that atmosphere of like this isn't really for kids. This is a little more out there.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you know, the one thing that we didn't discuss, you know, before we kind of get into spoilers, Pixar, you know, to a lot of people is formulaic in the not not having a traditional antagonist mm-hmm. and. This is very evident in this movie. And I think I, I wonder like what could have been given to kind of have that. Like I think that's maybe like what I may look for to kind of give me a sense of like true conflict. Yeah. Is there true conflict here?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess it's all really internal and it sort of speaks to the themes. But again, <laughs> introspection is not something that kids are notorious for. So, <laughs> yeah. <you> know, um, <laughs> let's let's uh, talk a little bit more about that. I just want to ask you, uh, lastly, Colby, to just summarize your thoughts and then give it a score out of 10.
1: Yeah, I think Soul is I think Soul is the appropriate film for this time of year. Um I think it's cathartic. I think it's a thinker. It's really beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful question to ask yourself and to follow this story, you know, with our protagonists and the little, you know, zany, you know, hijinks that can kind of come into it. While it may not fully win me over for the childlike wonder that I'm thinking of, um, it's still a beautiful score. It's a sweet story. It starts out strong. It wraps up neatly at the end. Gets a little funky in the middle. (laughs) But when you look at it all together, it's still a really good movie. Um, It's still, you know, Pixar is a tier unto itself. And while it's like in the middle of my ranks, it's still something that's a must recommend. I think that you will laugh. I think that, you know, one, as a black man, I like seeing this, you know, black character, you know, in a Pixar movie. And I want to spend more time in this world. Like, Mm -hmm. I I really want to know what Joe does going forward in his life. And I want to spend time in that. And there's a lot of goods to be had with this. And uh, yeah, must recommend. I think that score wise out of 10. I was, I was thinking a seven, like on a Kobe to scale, that was like a, you know, seven out of 10 is a good movie, but objectively the elements in regards to like what you, how you make a film, there's some like greats there, the animation, the score, um, the direction, uh, just like, you know, the, the, the effects and stuff like that. Like that's, that's objectively excellent. And just because it didn't work for me like, in regards to like the full plot, I can't take that away. So I'm gonna give this an eight out of 10. It's a great movie.
0: Awesome. Very similar to you. Um, Ultimately, I think this film creates a brilliant world in the first third and then executes an incredibly fascinating message in the final third, which we'll, we keep saying we're going to talk about and we will in spoilers. it's a beautiful film, but I do just wish that we got to spend a little more time in the world that they built so beautifully instead of New York City. Maybe that's just me being a curmudgeon about New York City. I don't know. But um, <laughs> it's, it's obviously better to leave people wanting more than to give them too much and being like enough is enough. So it's a fascinating film. It's a fantastic film. I'm sitting at an 8.5. Okay, All right, so let's go ahead and take a break here, and when we return, we'll hop into spoilers for Soul.
1: You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world. All through the art of storytelling and all in approximately seven minutes.
0: All right, we're back and talking about spoilers for Soul starting now. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. Okay, so the the thing that I wanted to talk to you about first is just that second chunk of the movie, and specifically how I just really didn't care about much of what was going on when Joe was in the body of the cat. That was the part where that felt like it was mainly for children, like, haha, he's in a cat. And I thought the movie was just so much more interesting when they were exploring the before life and the astral plane and all of that. Instead, a lot of the movie was kind of just this silly cat stuff. What did you think about that, Colby?
1: I didn't know that we were getting to a body swap. <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of like, you know, <laughs> B-Story inside of this. Um, it was unexpected. And like I said, when I my expectations going in was the Black Coco. And when I realized that we weren't getting the Black coco, um, I was still vibing with it. Because I think that 22 is a unique character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think having them essentially... This is a co lead that I was not prepared for. Because we look at all the imagery of Soul, you only really know of 22 inside the trailers. You know, you're not gonna find a billboard. Like on the main billboard of IMDB, it's him and the cat. And I'd even <laughs> like you can barely see the cat. It's like we don't want you to see this. We're gonna hold yeah. this. But like it's uh <laughs> it's 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 it's, a, it's an it's an interesting choice. Um yeah. I, it That's doesn't take it. away from the lessons that are being learned. It's just, I can't buy into it. And mm-hmm. with that lack of an antagonist, I don't know why we had to go that route. Um, I almost would have liked to have seen him, I don't know, inside the kid's body, inside of a student's body or something. I don't know. Like, so, yeah. something to infuse the child into the story. I didn't need it, you know, with the cat. Um, like, in 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 one respect, I guess it's kind of cool to see, it's, it's more so better for 22 than it is for Joe. And I think that that, like, that doesn't really work for what was being set up.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the film sort of is posed as Joe's film, but then he sort of takes a sideline to a lot of what's going on in the middle part of the movie. And obviously the last part of the movie becomes more about Joe and more about him kind of inspiring 22. But 22 has like this smaller arc that becomes the main focus of the movie in that middle part of the section or in that Mm -hmm. middle part of the movie. When Joe is kind of just fixating on this one thing that he wants to do, which is to get to play with Dorothea Williams,
1: man, talk about Dorothea Williams—like, <laughs> <she, laughs> so much sass and like, a, in, in such a you know a cartoon character. I love the yeah. way that she was animated. Um, when I look at it, how everything's set up, Joe's life—like, like, he's not leading a bad life. Like at the beginning of the film, he gets a promotion, yep. <laughs> you know, and but and it's something that like a, an adult, a creative adult, who can kind of attest to to say. Man, I'm being offered security in this one aspect, but it's something that would kind of hinder me from fully going after my dreams. I don't know what his age is. I mean, he's called middle-aged. But like, damn, I guess I'm middle-aged. Like, I'm 34. Joe doesn't feel 34. He feels like he's older than that. He feels like maybe he's in his mid-40s. I don't know what's really been holding him back. Because the thing is, the man's got talent. You know, and, and, and it's, it was almost hard for me to truly believe some of the conflict that was brought up inside this second act because I don't know what's gotten in his way of success. Because you let the man just play, I don't know why he would never, like, like. maybe I, I needed more of that to, like, truly buy what the, like, you know, what, what his goals are in that second act. Like, what he's learning. It seemed like almost 22 is doing a better job at being a middle-aged 40 year old black man than he was. <laughs> I had my own little issues with that. Yeah. But I'm not gonna project like some other people do. Cause I've 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 seen the articles and stuff like that. I'm not turned off by it, but when you look at it on his face, oh, why is this soul <laughs> that's not I got a chance to live doing a better job at being him than him, right?
0: Yeah. And I I've, I've also seen a lot of that criticism. And I think that's an incredibly fair criticism. Um and it's actually kind of surprising that, you know, there's not a a larger narrative about that, actually, um, especially given that it's Tina Fey in a black man's body. True, but you know, anyways. So, <laughs> <laughs> I I think we can kind of transition into like what the ultimate messages of this film are, because I think there's actually a lot of really dense and interesting things that this film is trying to say. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts on just overall, what do you think like the main takeaway is of this, and what do you think this film is saying about? goals and ambitions and passion and all of these things. And I mean, I I know there's tons of little small things, but I think we can start big and maybe talk about some of the other things it touches later.
1: Yeah. Dreaming big isn't bad. It's just don't dream too big where you miss all the little things that are so powerful in your life. Mm -hmm. I think Joe had a vision for what he's always wanted. He didn't want jazz. His dad introduced it to him and he fell in love with it. And he saw what the light at the end of the tunnel was, but he forgot about the journey in getting there. And it's a really fantastic kind of little montage that we get at the end of the film where we reflect back, well, Joe reflects back and like, yo, I have all of these major successes that I minimize so much because I felt that it was so far from the big thing that I wanted. And I think it's just a matter of putting life in perspective that it doesn't have to be about this big beginning mm-hmm. and this grand ending. That there's such an appreciation for all the beautiful things in the middle. You think about those five pieces of those little, I guess, like you know, I would say artifacts, but those these little objects, right? The the little spinning leaf, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the 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 car key, or like those little things, right? And it's it's it it's what helped him kind of like remember these are little things that people take for granted. And I think we we'll take granted for all those little those little life moments. And because he recognizes that he has those, he's not going to get down on himself. Because he didn't end up getting the ultimate goal that he thought of. That he's kind of really relishing in like all those little things. And makes him ultimately happy for what he has as opposed to pining for what he doesn't.
0: Yeah, to me, the film just ultimately landed on being an ode to being alive. And just like really appreciating life and just the little things in life. And and I think, it, you know, it, it goes a little bit into or, or a lot of it into what this film is saying about how there's not a specific purpose in life. I mean, this film Mm -hmm. uses very purposeful language when talking about what a spark is and what a spark isn't. And I love that it's not exactly laid out for you, right? It is Nobody explicitly tells the main characters what the spark is. They say what it isn't, and they specifically say your spark isn't your purpose in life. And I really love that instead of that, it's it's, uh, the spark is your initial desire to be alive and this film is really coming down on the idea in my opinion that we're not put on this planet to do one specific thing and that's kind of the misguided thing that joe was was fixating on he was so focused on getting that thing that he wasn't appreciating just being alive and i think that that message is actually really almost antithetical to like what a lot of films promote because i feel like 90 percent of films They say, okay, you've got this character and they have a gift or some special talent or they have a destiny that they're born to do. And the whole film is about the challenges that that character faces when they're trying to do what they're born to do. But soul says that doesn't matter. Like it, that's not what life is about. It's not about attaining the thing. It's not about doing the thing that you'll be remembered for. It's not about what you do with your life. It's about just being alive. And I think that's an incredibly powerful message. And again, going back to one of your criticisms of the film, it's very much not anything that a kid can digest. That's for sure.
1: Well, yeah. Cause I mean, a child is, they're still learning how to live yes. as opposed to being concerned <laughs> about like the joys of being alive. Like being alive is a given, you know, where when you get to your, you know, out of high school, you know, dealing with college, out of college, dealing with like what it means to really be adult. Sometimes the, the harsh realities of what real life is like can make you question like why we're here and you're not having that question when you're seven, eight or nine years old. So it's tough. Like once again, it doesn't make it a bad film. Um, it may not make it like the greatest effective kids film, but it's a beautiful exploration of that thought. Cause I think that we, we really do underestimate and devalue the, pre- you know, the, the, the precious gift of life in itself. And you really do not, you know, you really don't appreciate it until you lose it and you know for joe so okay joe really never loses his life like he slips in a manhole (laughs) and i so i mean it was so abrupt because he gets the biggest news of his career falls into a manhole and wakes up on the steps to the great beyond but then we kind of find out like well he's not dead he's just kind of unconscious i'm like So, where are we at? Is he dead? Why is he like – that's really quick. I I really hope that if I go unconscious that I'm not like in this kind of like, you know, am I or am I not? Like, I I wanted to be pretty like definitive. But um, (laughs) it it was definitely interesting, that choice. But I realized that like what they don't want to do because this is a kid's film is like, oh, he died. And I don't really know if they come up – they never really say the word – Do they say death in it? I don't know.
0: (laughs) I I think he asks if he's dead and they say that his uh, body is in a holding pattern and they kind of do this hand wavy thing. Um, (laughs) They do that a lot in this film where like some of the I don't want to say the concepts, but like the the mechanics behind the concepts are Mm -hmm. definitely hand waved. And it's just like, oh, you know. We don't really need to question how Joe got from the <laughs> yeah afterlife to the before life. I mean, that's not really the point of the film, but I, I agree that like there's definitely this, this thing that happens where Joe kind of gets everything that he wants and he also appreciates life. I think it would have almost actually been interesting, and I completely understand why they didn't do this, but it would have been interesting if he had chosen not to take his second chance, chance yeah. at the end and been like, hey- I already lived. And he says that as much to 22 mm-hmm. when she goes to earth and he just goes, no, I already have lived. I already appreciate life, but I understand why they're not going to kill the character at the end of the children's movie. So
1: yeah. One of my favorite body swap movies and I'm a child of the eighties, you know, is chances are Sybil Shepard, one of the earliest performances of Robert Downey Jr. And I'll never forget like how essentially Sybil Shepard's husband dies, but gets reincarnated in like the hot, <laughs> the hot young dude from next door or whatever, right? And he's trying to win his wife back inside another person's body, right? But ultimately, you know, says that this is the right thing and isn't given a second chance, but just kind of like, you know, he walks into the light and it's Sybil Shepard's character who learns the greatest lesson, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because Joe is offered this second chance, it almost made me feel as if, like, was he never deserving of, like, of the life that he had because he – didn't fully appreciate it i mean he lived yeah he lived with his mom right um he he was a school teacher with
0: his mom right i I think he had his own his own own, okay all right maybe i don't know i don't know it was
1: his his mom was definitely like ruling over like still the fact that he's middle-aged and like she lords over like you know his choices and stuff like that (laughs) and everything but like you know it's it's almost as if like it was set up like if you really want to set it up there's like he was just like this kind of like malaise of a person and like didn't deserve it. And the ultimate lesson in the end is that like now he truly appreciates life, but he was, he was generally happy for what I saw in the first act. So it was a little tough. Like it's those little things that was hard for me to kind of like buy into, but I I don't mind a body swap story. I think that there's a lot of goods to be earned from it. And like what it is to walk in someone else's shoes. I just didn't know that that was what I was getting in this movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the, um, the other thing that the body swap does well is that scene at the barbershop where not not so much necessarily the fact that Tina Fey is in a black man's body in a barbershop, of course, but like the fact that she allows the other person to talk about his life yeah, and the fact that Joe was so obsessed with his own passion that mm-hmm. he never really let himself live around the passion of others. And I thought that was a very profound way to show that without... Like explicitly stating that you know he just has the bar- the the barber's name I can't remember what it is but he just yeah, has to say oh name. you know you never asked me that's why I didn't tell you about the fact that I wanted to be a veterinarian instead of a barber and and I think that whole scene was incredibly efficient and beautiful at getting to so many points that the film was trying to make about how we're not born with a purpose in life this guy was not born to be a barber but he's still incredibly happy right I, I loved all of that scene
1: yeah no, it was it was really really good and you know I'm happy that we have those those moments um we I don't think we've ever seen a barbershop depicted inside of a of, of a kids film yeah. um so it was good to kind of bring that and i love the realism realism of it Um, it may not be the barbershops that I hang in, but it's, which is good because that is not inappropriate. (laughs) That's not an appropriate place for a kid to be able to be in. But I think for like, you know, and I think that's what Kent Powers lends to, you know, the, um, the story to kind of give it that authenticity, because if he was not involved in the writing of this film, then the criticisms in regards to kind of like, you know, Uh, invalidating the identity and the representation that's set up in this film. Well, then those criticisms are valid, but the Mm -hmm. fact that he's there, then I, that's what I give this film. It's grace in.
0: Yeah. And I think it was also good that Pete doctor was able to recognize that he needed another voice on this film. I think a shittier director would be like, I got it. It's fine. And I know what they,
1: I know how they think, how they talk. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, and he, he recognized that, He was not fit to tell the best story, right? So he brought Kent Powers on and he helped with writing and directing. And I'm really glad that he did that because it does make for a very special film, I think. Um, The other thing that I really liked about this film was the concept of lost souls and the idea that there's this very thin line between passion and obsession and I do feel like I think we've all been some version of a lost soul at some point in our lives. Like mm-hmm. we maybe not to the extreme as like the investment banker, <laughs> but um, definitely feeling like you're doing something that you once really loved, but you kind of just got so obsessed with it that it just sucked the joy out of it. I, I think that's such a fascinating concept, again, for a kid's movie.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I think children, they have just this innate kind of like vivaciousness for anything that they do. And mm-hmm. the only time that the, that's ever taken away is when, like, an adult says, like, no. But when you're in life, like, the, the scene that really stuck out for me is the guy who woke up from being a lost soul inside of, like, a like what, stock trading company or whatever yeah. and, like, just, like, loses it. Like, like his, this guy was just asleep at his desk and was soulless. Like, that's really interesting. I think there's a lot of people who are operating like that. Um, but like, that's a gag for you and me, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't really understand like what happens. And the fact that Graham Norton's character kind of like has this mastery of it, being able to kind of drift back and forth and he's got his little pirate ship and stuff. Like, that's the things where they had to interject that to like, keep the kids like, Oh, look at this big ship kind of doing this. And, and, you know, there's like this little kind of little action sequence and whatnot. Um, and it, it, it sounds really, really good. Like mm-hmm. my, <laughs> like, I was like, wow, I love the sound design, like in this area, like it sounded like. I wish I would watch an Adobe. Oh God, Disney! <laughs> it is not too... you. Can put this in like there's nothing keeping you from putting it in the theater. Like yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> just put it in there. See what happens. Oh man. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that that was cool. And like just the fact that you can be a lost soul without being dead. I think that says a lot.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know we talked about we've been talking about for a while, kind of like favorite scenes or moments or anything, but do you have like a specific favorite scene, any specific favorite lines? Cause I feel like there's so many things that just made me laugh out loud so much in this film, but like from the opening Disney logo of the band, just playing the horribly uh, yeah. tuned <laughs> Disney logo song. So <laughs> funny. <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 it's
1: so cute. Yeah. Yo, I got to be honest. The gags go really, really quick. The jokes in here are like, I mean all the little callbacks cause, Like, okay, if you don't understand the character of 22, she's the 22nd soul of existence. Yeah. Or I guess pre-existence, whatever, right? Yeah. She essentially has seen the writing of the entire universe and has interacted with all of these mentors and they're all these famous mentors, Abraham Lincoln, Muhammad Ali, like all of these people, like all of those little stuff just work for me. Um, Sometimes I feel like the joke may have ran on too long, but like it was really sweet that she's gotten us, she's gotten a chance to kind of like have a backseat at creation, and still doesn't appreciate it. <laughs> and like everything that she's had, like you know, I, I love this. Like she's she's been impressed upon by so many different figures, and then like like you said, all the little the building of the world and all the like little things, like oh, this happened because of this, and that's why. Like the little thing about the Knicks and whatever, like that. Yeah, that was so funny. That's that's, that's smart, and cute stuff, you know.
0: Yeah there there's a couple lines that I thought were just they just cracked me up both times I watched it. I love when they're in the um like introduction seminar to the U seminar and they show like examples of the the little souls with different personalities and one of them says that I'm a manipulative megalomaniac who's yes. opportunistic. <laughs> then <laughs> they should, that's Earth's problem, but that's okay. Oh, I um, love that. I love the look at oh. that's
1: Earth's problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so good. And everything that Graham Norton says, where he's like, for a time, I was a lost soul myself. Tetris. And <laughs> as somebody who played a ton of Tetris 99 when that came out for this Nintendo uh-huh. Switch a couple of years ago, holy shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really think that the writing is so quippy in this film, and I really love it. Um, I have two actual nitpicks about this movie, and by mm-hmm. nitpicks I mean things that in no way negatively impact the film or its effectiveness, but they've just got me wondering. So we see when Joe Gardner dies, he immediately goes onto that kind of like escalator to a, a giant bug zapper, basically. And <laughs> he freaks out. And and so ultimately he kind of like tries to get out of it and then falls into the before plane or whatever. But like, is he really the only guy? who's not calmly accepting death. Don't you think that would happen way more often? Oh, it'd have to be.
1: And it's, there's like an old lady who says, oh, you know, he must not have been like ready for it or whatever. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm pretty sure that on a daily basis, there's hundreds of thousands of people that aren't ready for it. If I had that awareness (laughs) in (laughs) in that regard, I would be freaking out and be heading anywhere but the big light. I think that we've learned in movies, you'd never go towards the light, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I learned that from Poltergeist at a very early age. (laughs)
0: And and they even have a line where they're like, oh, the count hasn't been off for a hundred years or a thousand years or something. And it's like I feel like the count would be off all the time, that people yeah. would be freaking out. And there were hundreds and hundreds of souls going into that escalator thing. And they were just like, yeah, this is fine. Don't know if I could confidently say that I would be okay with dying right now. <laughs> and I most certainly like, well, wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another nitpick is that he replaces this other mentor soul in the before life. Mm-hmm. What happened to that guy, Dr. Bjorgensen? So like, all he did was just take his name tag. So, yeah, right? like, R- Right? Like, yeah, what – where did he go? <laughs> Why did he not – I don't know. I mean, so obviously, maybe again, he these back, things – Maybe he went back
1: to the escalator or something. I don't <laughs> know. You know, like – but those are some of, like, those forgiving things you have. Like, okay, I got to give this film grace because it is a kid's movie, right? Um, I see the world that it's building and the rules that it's trying to set. Um, does it always play by the rules? Probably not. I yeah. can always accept, you know, expect that of like everything. You know, same thing like with Tenet. Does Tenet always play by the rules? I don't know. It's hard to decipher. But you know, you know, you just <laughs> kind of ultimately, do I believe this character, their convictions, their goals, and how they go after them? And and as long as you have that, then you're all right. You know. So while I didn't always have that, I know that ultimately I believe that Joe wanted to live. Yeah. Um And I think that's why, like that 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 little synopsis bothers me so much because it seemed like. Joe's only thing to live for was for music. And I think that he got a lot more of that. And he never had a lot, like it, it was never lost on it, you know? And I mm-hmm. wonder if how the film would have sit differently for me if it was depicted where he had a loss for music. Where like his middle school students said, yo man, you were traveling, you were doing the shows, what happened? And then we find out because it's of his father's death as the reason why he decided to abandon music. And you know, like, th- I think that story would have been much more interesting. But I also feel like that story we've seen before. So I think it purposely tried to deviate from that.
0: Right. And I do like that the film says, okay, because because there is that moment where he essentially gets everything that he's ever wanted, right? And yeah. there's the speech from Dorothea Williams about the fish and being in water versus being in the ocean. Mm-hmm. I think by giving him the thing that he ultimately wanted and saying, hey, like life goes on, you're not going to feel that different. There's always this unsatisfaction or wanting the next thing kind of feeling that is very universal to a lot of people. And I think saying that that's not what life is about, like there is no ending. There is no beginning. Like you were saying, I think that was a brilliant way to put that Colby is that like, there's everything in between and you've been here this whole time. So I, I think that in order to kind of have that message, you need to have the idea that he's still passionate for music and almost to the point of being too passionate for music. Like, I think Joe is very close to being a lost soul, right? And music being the thing that he becomes too passionate about. And he just he's not talking to his barber about his life. He's not talking to his mother about what she's doing. You know, he's missing out on all these little interactions.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, man. It's, and, and, that's, and I think ultimately, that's what makes this film powerful. Yeah. It's like, you know, even if I don't always like love the execution in certain parts of the film, you know, you still kind of like, you know, have that stamp of like, damn, like this is it. And, that, and that's something that is unwavering. And, you know, Pixar will always have that, you know, um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's crazy that the studio is as consistent as it is Um I mean, granted, I, I say they need some special Oscar for it, but like they just kind of <laughs> will, will automatically be a lock for most Oscars. However, I will say this year deceptively is a really interesting animated year. Like I've got soul in like the fourth or fifth spot for animation this year. So
0: really? So, I mean, I know people are huge fans of Wolf Walkers. I think that's a very beautiful film. As I just well. saw it. Um, it is
1: really, really beautiful. I, I did not expect what I got with that.
0: Yeah, I I mean, we could have a whole other conversation about yeah, that, so I I, I I won't, I won't get <laughs> we'll in there.
1: Point
0: that. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I would love for this to win animated feature. I think Pixar is usually a pretty strong bet for that, with the exception of you know years like when Into the Spider Verse came out and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a fantastic film. I think we've talked about it more than enough to encourage people to to go out and see it. So I'm I'm good with uh, moving on. If you are, yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Um, Colby, what have you been watching recently as if I don't already know exactly what you're going to say?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, my final watch of the year was Wolfwalkers on Apple TV Plus. I don't know why it took me so long, but like I don't have Apple TV Plus on my Roku. So I got to go to my PS4. I got to, you know, mm. it those extra steps really do matter. Yeah. All right? So finally watched it. I was like, okay, I think it is some amazing 2d animation it has this this really unique layering to it that's really beautiful it's like it's like reading those golden books when you're a kid or like where the wild things are but then just cinematic um yeah. i love how sweet the story is i can tell that it's you know it's paying obviously a lot of you know uh uh honest like you know um translations to you know traditional folklore you know from that you know uh from from that region and it's really pretty. I think the I think the uh Mike, you know, Mike, Michael Bean is my not Michael Bean, Sean Bean.
0: Yeah. Really, really
1: good inside of it. Sheen like I, I yeah, Sheen Bean <laughs> I loved it. Uh he doesn't die in this movie.
0: Spoilers, <laughs> man. No, yeah. No, spoilers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like it was it's a really, really sweet film. My daughter loved it. She rated it a nine out of ten, and I would have to agree. Um and then um somehow, I forget. Yeah, I think because you know, it's the end of the year. So everybody does their top 20 of 2020 or top 10 or top five. So I was like going back and like rewatching some stuff. So I did rewatch Onward. I was like, yo, it is still so good. Such, such a strong, <laughs> strong movie, man. And um, I have now watched Cruise a New Age five times oh my god, the movie theater. It's my daughter's favorite animated movie of the year. Um and is she yo, a bro? Nicolas Cage Die
0: Hard is that it?
1: Not even. She just <laughs> like I got to be this movie is so funny. Like the jokes are really really good. I mean, Nicolas Cage and Emma Stone and Peter Dinklage and like yo, it is really really good. Like I was surprised at how funny of a movie it is. Um and I do like the fact that it's just been a comfort for myself and my daughter to have a safe space to go to the movie theater. It's really like only us and like two or three other people in there every time that we watched it. Um, shout out to AMC because they do an exceptional job at keeping their theater safe and clean. Mm. You know, I fortunately live in a part of the country that still has theaters open and they've always been open except for a few months. Um, and yeah, that's been like a really nice little comfort spot that we'll just go and you know, I still got my stubs, you know, my my A list. So, you know, I'm I'm in there, you know, still every week. So yeah, those have been like the stuff that we've been like, you know, watching and enjoying. So a lot of crudes and Wolf Walker. So I still need to finalize like my top five like individual categories. And, you know, I gotta write up the golden cobes that'll be coming in February or something like that. So uh it'll be yeah, but it'll be good. What are you watching?
0: Yeah, well, I just want to say that uh, I, I agree with everything that you said about Wolf Walkers. Um I haven't gotten to talk about it on this podcast because it's one of those ones that like I just saw and then can never quite slip it in, you know. But um If I if I can real quick, I wonder I think I think
1: what, what Apple TV Plus is lacking is like making their content feel like it's an event.
0: Mm-hmm. Netflix
1: has done a good job at it, and obviously they've been doing it for the longest time, where now it seems like there's like this, there's a There is a topical conversation where Netflix, like a big Netflix drop happens, right? Um, Especially like during this holiday season, you had it with, you know, Mauraine's Black Bottom. You had it with, uh, uh, well, I guess Midnight Sky is the one to have it this week. And then um, uh, what's the one with Vanessa Kirby that's coming the week after, Uh, right? Pieces of a Woman. Pieces of a Woman. It feels like there's like, we have in our minds already built in, this is the touchstone conversation we have to have. I feel like it's, for some reason, I don't know why it's not like that with Amazon and Apple TV plus though. They have good content, but I never feel like it needs to be discussed because it feels like you can kind of get to it whenever, like, like, um, on the rocks feel like it came and went and I never felt like I had to watch it at a specific time because it's never the topic of the conversation.
0: Yeah. I also feel like it's just one of those things where Apple TV plus is a subset of the entire Apple company. Right. So it's not, they're only driving. driving, Yeah. So they don't need to invest as much time as Netflix does, which is a completely 100% of streaming company. So yeah. all of the money that they get comes from that streaming company. So it's almost like, you know, they're trying to polish a little side business by bringing <laughs> these new films in, but it's not like the absolute necessity for yeah. them to get their bottom line, That's which correct. is unfortunate, right? Because like Wolf Walker is really good. I hope people get a chance to see it. Um, the 2d animation that you're talking about, I think for me, it was actually like tough to like yeah, adjust too. to almost did for you a have, second. Did you have that
1: same thing with spider verse? I remember when yes. I first watched spider verse, yeah. I was like, I don't know. Oh
0: yeah, no, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean like every time I rewatch spider verse too, it's still like, Oh, the first 15 minutes I'm like, yep. okay, let's get adjusted. And then once it kind of <laughs> clicks into place, you're like, okay, now I understand. But yeah, I really love what they're doing there. I also found it really fascinating that the film can almost have this, um, lgbtq interpretation to it like there's this um there's obviously a aspect of the film that is um the villain has a very religious orientation and mm-hmm. the, the the two girls are in this it's all obviously children and so it's a friendship but it's very yeah. much a stand-in for like showing your true self and having to hide your friendship or whatever this this feeling is so i i think that the film is really powerful for that reason yeah. and i it's It's a fantastic film if you haven't had a chance to check it out. I mean, I think you can get like a seven day free trial of Apple TV Plus or whatever, so it's definitely definitely worth
1: it. it. And even afterwards, it's five bucks a month. Like you won't miss that. You won't miss it. And there's some there's some high quality stuff on there. I really wish there was an easier way to be able to watch it. Like I don't want to have to upgrade my entire Roku TV because for a few years, (laughs) but like not super long. But yeah, it's just not going to be available on my TV. But you know, that's what PS4 is for.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So um, the one film that I wanted to talk about is Happiest Season.
1: I just woke up thinking about going home with you and got very excited about Christmas.
0: I get to go meet the people that made my favorite person. I'll always take December way over Abby, you and Harper have a perfect relationship. She is my person, and I really want everyone to know that. I want to marry her. What are you doing on your phone? I left a gentleman alone in my apartment, so I'm tracking him to make sure he leaves. You're tracking him? Yeah, I track everybody. If the
1: NSA can do it, so can I. I I'm so excited. I can't believe I'm finally going to meet everyone. There's something that we should talk about. Hi.
0: Hi! I didn't tell my parents I'm gay. So who do they think I am? This is Harper's orphan friend, Abby. Yes, of course. you are there. You're so brave. You don't need to be.
1: Oh, nice. Have you seen it? I have seen it. I saw it at the beginning of its of the happiest season. Okay. Hulu definitely yeah, so does a, I'm a better little late. job. I'm sorry. <laughs> at, no, no, no. But I mean, Hulu does a better job at trying to make a film like the topic of conversation. Not as good as everything else, but uh, plus, there's also like, yo, there's really not a lot of Hulu originals. You think for a company that's been around for like what almost ten years, right? Yeah. Hulu's been around that they would have like jumped on that. Then they, I think they only have like ten Hulu originals and happiest season. It's a good holiday watch. Like, it's it's a fun... I've got, like, little nitpicks, but, like, it's a fun watch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, it's a rom-com. It stars Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart. Uh, it's directed by Clea Duvall, who I did not know was Marjorie in Veep. She's um, <sighs> Catherine's girlfriend. Anyways, uh, Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, they're Abby and Harper, and they're dating. And the premise of the film is that Harper invites Abby home for Christmas, but she isn't out to her family, so... And the reason for that is that her father is like a political candidate and all that bullshit. So <laughs> Abby and you know, I mean, it's that's always frustrating. But we're still here.
1: We're still here.
0: Yeah, it's it's a reality. So and and I think the film does a really good job at dealing with that. But but so Abby and Harper they have to pretend to be just roommates until after Christmas, and then Harper says that she's going to finally tell her family about them. So um yeah, I, I really loved this film. I thought it was fantastic for what it is, which is, as you're saying, it's it's a solid holiday rom-com. And I think rom-coms in general, they have a lot of flaws uh, that you kind of have to look past, like you're sort of accepting that with the territory, right? Usually one of the main leads of the film does something completely unacceptable in a real relationship. And if it was real life, that would be a massive red flag and then the person kind of just forgives them. Um, so that's something that you have to look past. There's usually a moment in a rom-com where things become like jump the shark unrealistic Because the film thinks that it needs to kind of be wacky because it's a film or whatever. And I think Happy Season has those things. But just like a lot of other rom-coms, I think it's incredibly entertaining. It's really charming. and has a really sweet story. And I think Kristen Stewart, she's great in the film. But for me, the two standouts are Dan Levy as Kristen Stewart's gay best friend. And Mary Holland as one of Mackenzie Davis's sisters. She's the the middle child, I believe. Yeah, or the the, the youngest the, one,
1: the awkward one. <laughs>
0: yeah, every yeah, no. single line from either of them had me laughing out loud. Oh, just yeah. I just loved it.
1: They were great, and I, and I thought that she was going to be a bit much, but I liked I liked the like the 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 delicate interjection of her, um, which yeah. was really really good. Um, honestly, I think this is like one of my favorite Aubrey Plaza roles. Now, granted. I still have a lot of Aubrey Plaza to catch up on, <laughs> um, but I just, I loved her character inside of this because, you know, get me wrong, uh, Mackenzie's Davis's character is like super unlikable and yeah. I, it, it's not done on purpose. So it's not her, it's not her fault. And like, she's given a good performance. It's just the way that their character's written. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think I gave it a six out of 10. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a tradition, like it's not, this is not a Christmas movie. And I think some people may be fooled by it because it is happening over Christmas, but like this doesn't celebrate the spirit of Christmas, right? Um, And it does have some, I don't know what to call them, tropes, but it seems I just thought progressively we were kind of past where the crux of this story was, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, that there's just like this family that is like that intolerant where, you know, because of like political gain, like that, why they would not entertain, you know there's beats of this film that kind of has the family stone to it. And I feel like this film kind of wants to be the family stone, but it's not.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, there's definitely are still families like that, but it it does kind of feel like one of those things that it's like, damn, I wish that we didn't have to still talk about this because it's, (laughs) you know, I think in, in a lot of spheres, it's, that's just so clearly wrong. There's no justification for that. There's no like, Oh, well, yeah, I understand why you're doing it because you have to keep up a political image. It's like, no, screw you, you're completely wrong. And I think for for what it's worth, the film does at least make those people grapple with that and yeah. come to the realization that they are objectively wrong instead of being one of those things that's like, you know, the dad still commits to being irredeemable at the end or whatever. So yeah. I, I, I think that there are like a lot of tropes here, but I also think that in terms of rom-coms, there's some pretty good tropes that it avoids. Like, oh yes. you've got the Aubrey Plaza character who is sort of like a love triangle thing, but they don't really play into that in the same annoying way that a lot of rom-coms do. So I really liked parts of that that was just really, really fun. Um I did have a couple moments that uh, like you, I, that I thought were really dumb or bothered me. Um, there's a character played by Alison Brie who I think is super awful and her she does worst something
1: performance and it's not, it's yeah. not her, it's not her fault. She, she it's a terribly written character.
0: Yeah. And she and also does not. something that I think is really unacceptable and there's no consequences for what she does. Oh, yeah. So that really pissed me off. But, um, I think overall, I was very
1: surprised because horse girl came out in 2020. And that
0: was <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> I haven't seen that one.
1: <laughs> oh, don't watch it at all. It, it is awful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she goes for it. <laughs>
0: yeah. But I mean, regardless, I think a lot of that kind of stuff comes with the genre and we still have a long way to go with diversity and inclusion. And I think this yeah. film makes a lot of really great steps. And for me, it's probably one of my favorite rom coms that I've seen in recent memories. So I would really I
1: want more from it. Like I, I want yeah. more films like it that, you know, can just In in the same way that, like, one of my favorite films of the year is The Photograph. And, you know, it's a story about just a black couple exploring black love. And the center of this black story is not on them being black. Mm -hmm. They just so happen to be black. And I want the same thing for, like, you know, LGBTQ plus representation. The crux of this film is that this is that positive, you know, representation. But the crux of the story isn't about them being gay. You know, it's just like they just are. In the same way that, like, when we watch any other film that you know you know a people of the opposite sex it's never just about them it's like oh will they get together or not not oh should they be together morally or not like i i would love right. to get to that point like just like i have like a day in the life movie of just like you know dan levy's character and him just like making Dude, sure that like you so know his much dates, money for that yeah he just <laughs> wants to make sure his dates leave his house because he leaves them behind or something like that like i just he's really i'm really liking this guy i like him a lot and i love all the gifts that are available of him i need to watch i need to start Shit's creek really <laughs>
0: Yeah. And the film also doesn't do the thing that a lot of like LGBTQ representation films do where they like have some homophobic aspect to them. Whereas this is like a character that says something offhanded or anything. Yeah. This is just a very lovely film, uh, a lovely rom-com about a couple that happens to be lesbian. And so I, I really love that about the film. I think people should definitely check it out on Hulu as soon as they can. Yep. All right. So this has been our review of Pixar's Soul. Colby, thanks so much for joining me. Is there anything specific that you want to plug here?
1: Man, Mati, thank you so much for always having me. Look forward to coming back on again. Man, Um, I am going to announce that the Colby Told Me podcast is returning. I took off a hiatus uh, in the summertime, <laughs> dealing with some things personal on the home front, and I'm definitely in a much better place to be able to navigate balance, direction, clarity, and prosperity. So for 2021, my new year's resolution was to bring the podcast back in full effect. I've been doing guest spots from here to there. Glad to be doing one for you. But I'm hoping to drop a new episode next week. What it's going to be about? No clue, uh, but I will figure <laughs> that out and be able to get it out. But hey, if you guys do want to uh, give me a boy follow, you can do so on Instagram and uh, Twitter at Colby Told Me. When I'm in the mood to write, which hasn't been anytime time soon, you can check out my website while it's still up at colbytoldme.com. So when they ask you where you heard it from, you can tell them Colby Told
0: Me. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me, Colby. Always. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin MacLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M A R A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I'm joined by Patrick Bork of the Star Draft to talk about the top five acting performances from 2020, along with a special look into the ranking system behind the Star Draft, a fantasy draft league for fans of awards season. I think that's going to be an awesome episode, so stay tuned for that. But until then, remember that life's a marathon, so let's take it one movie at a time.
1: My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the authors' lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform, And learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.